Ohio State continues to do Ohio State things on the football field. It was a big one in East Lansing. Wow, what an offensive output. Hey, guess what, friends? We've got a special guest on this episode of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance. Joining me as always, my partner in crime, Johnny Ginner, and in on the hotline to join the Dubcast this week, a legend of Buckeye Championship years, Ben Hartsock, tight end for the 2002 National Championship team and big-time broadcaster in sports. Ben, welcome to the Dubcast. I think this is your first time on the Dubcast, though not your first time on something emulating broadcast radio. Uh, for folks who maybe haven't been following your career since your playing days, uh, bring us up to speed on what you're doing in the world of sports broadcasting and, and where in the world we find you this week in your travels. Yeah. So uh, after my Ohio state days, I, I bounced around the NFL, had one of those journeyman NFL type careers, but uh, was so thankful for that played for five teams over the course of 10 years. Uh, and then after getting out of the game, it, it took a couple of swings of the bat to find my fit. I worked as a, as a player agent for a couple of years, uh, just kind of a square peg in a round hole in that industry. Uh, but I found my way into sports talk radio and, uh, have been doing that now since 2017 was my first season. Uh, I've worked for ESPN radio on the national broadcast side, calling college football games and NFL football games. Uh, but then I've also found uh, a real good home with Sirius XM, the satellite radio, doing uh, shows on the Big Ten channel and uh, as well on ESPNU, their their college centric uh, channel on on Sirius XM. So I do six talk shows a week. And when I'm able to, I get out and go see some games on the weekends like I was able to do this past weekend. Uh, and it's been a tremendous uh, fit. It's a great transition. Everybody that plays ball after they get done, the next best thing is to try to talk about ball. So I'm living the next level of dream. And it's kind of funny because I feel like Ohio State has had a really good track record of guys like you going and finding success, either whether it's in the booth calling games or doing radio. I mean, there are just a truckload of guys, it feels like, in the last, what, 20 to 30 years who have made this a really successful career. Am I am I imagining that, or does it seem like there's a pretty high number of Scarlet and Gray alumni out there on the airways? Well, I mean, obviously with with Kirk Herbstreet, who is the face of of college football today, but with with him and Joey Galloway and Robert Smith, and and even on down to more currently to guys like myself and AJ Hawk. Uh, uh, yeah, AJ Hawk and Dustin Fox. And then, you know, Bobby Carpenter, who has a show there in Columbus locally, he's done stuff. Uh, well, he does some shows on ESPNU as well on the Sirius XM side of things. And see, he has the double blessing of, you know, when you're, when you're touched by Ohio state and you have that pedigree, that's a big uh, help, but also being a Dallas Cowboy that is like the trifecta of boxes checked. And so, uh, you know, those fan bases are so worldwide that, yeah, it's it's a natural fit to see uh, as many Buckeyes out there. So I'm just glad to be a part of it. And it, and it is a ton of fun because, you know, I, my wife and I, we were as we were bouncing around the NFL, we ended up making our, our home here in the South. We were in the process of moving to our third no fourth team we were about to move to <laughs> and we we decided okay we were getting ready to have our second daughter and we're like we need to put roots down so we fell in love with the south found a faith family that we loved and and so we we i call myself uh like a, a missionary to the ohio state gospel i'm taking <laughs> the good news of of buckeye football and buckeye sports to the masses down here in the south they're so confused down here so <laughs> but it's it's good to get to reconnect with guys like carpenter and and uh you know i do some shows with aj hawk occasionally so it's been a, a tremendous amount of fun. 
So let me ask you this. When it comes to the perspective of a player versus a broadcaster, I mean, what, what is the change in mentality when it comes to approaching the game in general? Like what, what about it is different based on whether you're in the booth or whether you're actually on the field? Well, as a guy that uh, calls games, you have double the workload. Right. When I when I was a player as an as a tight end, I only studied the defenses. I didn't need to study the offense of the opponent that we were going with against. So uh, as a guy that then transitions in the boost, you have to you have to study uh, both sides of it. And as a national level broadcaster, it's different than Lachey and Keels. You know, you you know the the Buckeyes intimately, but every week then you have to learn a new roster. For a national broadcaster, you're learning a new two new sets of rosters each and every mm. week. So, so that's a challenge and, and just finding your voice. I'll never forget. I got assigned my first uh, college football game. It was Tennessee, Missouri. And I, I had, I, I thought there would be a, a, a tutorial, like a seminar, maybe a, like a manual of like, Hey, this is how you call a college football game. <laughs> and, and they know they just said, Nope, uh, here's your flight information. They'll pick you up at the airport and off you go. So I start going through my Rolodex of guys that have called games. I call a Dustin Fox. I called Paul Keels. I called uh, uh, Lachey and said like, what's, what's the trick here? How do you do this? And, and they all to the man said the same thing. They said, you just got to figure it out. <laughs> you just, wow. that, that's, but, and, and it, you know, it's funny as, as that was kind of, I was, I was like, well, that doesn't help me very much, but until <laughs> you get into it, it really is it, it, to try to do anything other than be yourself would be disingenuous. And right. so you have to see what you see. And that's part of the magic of why certain broadcasters thrive. And some of us like uh, others that, you know, the certain player or certain guys that do it, that maybe have an offensive line or defensive line perspective, will focus on that. Or there's a reason why there are so many quarterbacks, because we all see the game from that perspective. So it was a, a good exercise for me to be able to, to stretch outside of that box. But I'm honestly, I'm not even, I'm actually not calling games this fall with, I've got high school age daughters. And and so I'm, I'm focusing on spending that time with them. So I'm really focusing now on doing the sports talk shows, which that is just, that's the absolute best to be able to armchair quarterback from a million miles away. And, and, and ultimately I think one of the things that I feel the most passionate about is making sure that we focus on what's important in college sports because college sports is going such a different direction that, that I, I don't want to be the old guy shaking my fist at the sky. But I, as we make these changes, I'm hoping that I can be one small little voice to say, let's remember what's important with this pursuit. Yes. These guys are valuable and, and, and have uh, the ability to earn and all of those kinds of things, but there's something special about that collegiate experience. And I really hope that we can continue to keep that as we transition in college football. Yeah. Let's dig in on that a little bit, because that's been a, a topic we've covered quite a lot on the dubcast and, and Johnny and I have had some very good and spirited discussions uh, about it over the years, the various, I mean, there's a lot of interconnected pieces here, right? We could be talking about NIL. We could be talking about the transfer portal. We could be just talking about, would you have ever envisioned a day where as many Big Ten teams had fired their coaches before week oh six in a season as we've <laughs> seen this? Like these things are all sort of wildly interconnected, right? How do we how do we reconcile the things you just talked about? Keeping that kind of that thing that makes college sports special, college football special, with this sort of new reality that we find ourselves. Is there an equilibrium coming and what does that look like? No, I, I think that specifically in the big 10 and, and sec, we're, we're trending towards professional college football. 
And and there's no stopping that. That that fuse has been lit. And whether it's five years from now or seven or ten, whatever that may be, that I there will I believe there'll there will be a revenue split and and there will be some sort of collectively bargained rights and 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 I, I I'm a capitalist. I'm a guy that you know I I stand on that staunchly. And so my beliefs about college sports kind of fly in the face of my my capitalistic or maybe even political views. But it's the reason why I do that is because I look at college football as a developmental institution. I, I look at that amateur sports from from youth to high school. And, and really, I look at college as kind of the crown jewel of amateur athletics. And it's the develop it's the it, it, amateur athletics to me represent one of the two greatest developers of young people, men and women are, are amateur athletics in the United States military. When you talk, when you ask anybody, hey, what what formed you? What what helped you learn about perseverance and grit and toughness? And you know, those who go to the military route often point to that, and those who played youth sports often have that that perspective. And so, when we uh, turn it to professional sports, it, it it ultimately undermines what the, the 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 developmental aspect of it was. And so that's that's going away, and that makes me sad. But uh, I always present it to people this way. Uh, it's it's a person made this point. They said it's kind of like the commercialization of Christmas. Mm-hmm. It, that, that Christmas, if if you're a person of faith that celebrates for for the for the birth uh, of the Savior, you still can celebrate that for what it is. It's just a little more challenging because with the commercialization of of all of the consumerism and and glitz and glamour and all of those other things, it's still there. The the purpose is still there. It's just you got to focus and work through it a little bit more. And I am a a fundamental supporter of coaches, and I believe in what Coach Day's doing and Chris Holtman is doing. I think that the coaches will continue to point p- players that way. Uh, it'll just be a little bit more challenging. And and I always say one of the magic things about college athletics is is I know when I've talked to every single guy that played college and pro football, I've never seen a single one say that they had a better experience in the pros. Everybody remembers their college experience as more sweet, as more pure, as more noble. And and I argue that that's because you're insulated from the cold, hard realities of the business of football. And so when we change, there's going to be contracts and guys are going to get cut and, and, and careers will be ended. And, and ultimately the data of the transfer portal indicates that if you study the data of the transfer portal, 45% of players that put their name in the portal uh, in their career, they don't find a home. They don't find a scholarship. They don't find a roster. And so that's damning evidence. But because we only want to focus on, uh, you know, the success of Justin Fields or Joe Burrow or or others that have had success, we're, we don't really want to talk about the fact that the overwhelming majority of these guys, it doesn't work out for. But, uh, you know, it's it, it it's something that's going in a way that I wish it wasn't, but I, I have to find a way to live with that. And and again, I, I lean on the fact that it's uh, I believe in coaches and it's kind of like I, I've given this illustration that the games are going to be great no matter what, whether it's professional or whether it's not. Uh, the games on Saturdays will be great because the bands will be there and the helmets and the same colors and the the loyalties that we have will be great. But it, it'll be kind of different in the way that if I go to a great steakhouse and 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 the steak is going to be great. But if the side dishes are burnt and the waiter's a jerk and the bathroom's <laughs> a dump, it doesn't matter how good the steak is. I'll, I'm done. Right. Well, I don't know if it'll ever get that in college football. 
but it's going to certainly be a little bit different. And and I and I love the game too much to say that I would walk away. It's just going to be a, a, a different version of that. And and I wonder, you know, the other last thing I'll say about this is the Buckeyes will be fine. <laughs> the Big Ten is going to be fine, just like the SEC. I wonder what will happen to the other, you know, lesser schools that are in the Big 12, Pac-12, and and uh, ACC, and even the group of five past that. Because, again, when I say amateur athletics in the NCAA, that's that's 460,000 NCAA athletes uh, from the top to the bottom. Ha- almost half a million young people getting developed by the blood, sweat, and tears of, of basketball players and football players. That's the, the revenue producers. And so as we redistribute this, there's the unintended consequence if we're going to pay the players their due. And, and I get it. I, you know, I get it. Uh, CJ Stroud's worth a lot of money. What's going to be the unintended consequences is some gymnast or, or diver or, or rowing team will be uh, shown the door because they can't, they can't make it all work financially. You know, one of the things that you brought up, something that I've been thinking about a lot is about how coaches and, and coaching in general evolves and, and how it has to evolve. And, and I've kind of been, you know, I'm I'm obviously a more outside observer, but it, it to me it's really interesting to see which coaches uh, I think are ready or willing to adapt to this kind of new environment, and which ones maybe are not that they can't do it, but but I think they're kind of seeing that change, and it wasn't what they became coaches in or why they wanted to become coaches. And do you see that difference? I mean, from your perspective, do you see like a line between? You know, maybe some of the the more I don't want to use the word modern, but you know, coaches who have just kind of started on the come up recently, like a guy like Ryan Day, for example, versus somebody who might have been in the game for a long time, like a Saban. Is there is there a difference in mentality between these guys and how they approach all of this? Well, I think when you look at uh, some of the retirements in college basketball, like I think Coach Shashevsky, you know, you you have to wonder, right. and I think he's too gracious to you know, thumb his nose or kind of say that it's not what he wanted to get as he walks out the door. But I think there's a fatigue there. And Jay Wright at Villanova, like those guys watched this thing change right before them. And I, and I think guys like Tom Izzo are, are going to be dinosaurs. And and I even look at, I brought this up on my show the other day about Nick Saban, that I don't know if you've ever seen the book Outliers that talks about yeah. people that are of high, high success that you know, guys like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and and uh, these these types of guys. Uh, it's not just that they were wildly talented. It's also kind of a product of the timing and the era that they were born in that allowed mm-hmm. them to thrive. And I look at what Nick Saban has done, that he was able to build this dynasty in an era where you could shake a kid's face mask, where you could scream and yell at a kid when he doesn't meet your standard. Uh, and the kid would sit there and say, yes, sir. But to his credit, as the the, the player and the, the landscape has evolved, we've gotten a more evolved and soft, and I call it Grandpa Nick, right? Like the the more <laughs> soft and fuzzy and cuddly. I don't know that if Coach Saban started over again today as that young man with that unbelievably high standard that he could shake a face mask and get away with it. But because he built his dynasty in an era where he could hold uh, and and build this high, high expectation that it becomes self-fulfilling, that he, he can then have that success in the modern day because all you do have to say is look at our trophy case. You can right. come and be a part of this and do it no matter what. Do I think that coaches will coach hard? Yes. But do they have to make adjustments because of the fact that there's an easy ripcord called the transfer portal that, that guys will look to and the new realities of uh, Coach Neuheisel and ESPNU? He says, if I'm not starting, I'm departing. 
yeah. right? Like that's kind of the new era that we live in. And I, I asked Kirby Smart that a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's a hard coach. He's a tough, high, high expectation coach. And he says, I'm going to coach the way I'm going to coach. But the reality is, and I, and I think when you hear the coaches in their heart of hearts, they, they recognize that they have to adjust and be constantly, you know, if you want to say it cynically, you would say coddle, but to say it positively, it was, I think it was, um, Texas tech coach, um, just and uh, Josh Wilcox Wilcox. Is that the coach at Texas tech? We interviewed him the other day, current coach at Texas tech. And he said, I, I like the portal because it holds bad coaches accountable. And I thought that was really insightful hmm. that, you know, I, I was always recruiting my guys, no matter what. And ultimately it's you, it, it makes coaches have a relationship because while listen, I've, I've, I'm, I'm a product of, of dozens of coaches that were good in my career. I had some bad ones and, and the transfer portal is almost an accountability for those bad ones that if you're a jerk and you don't have a relationship, because what coaches do they're able to bring things out of somebody that you don't see in yourself. Like that's what the best coaching is, is a coach says, I see something in you that you don't even believe you have, and I'm going to help you bring it out of you. And that's inherently a hard thing to do. And it, and ultimately it makes, it means making a young person do things that their body and their psyche and everything says you, you don't want to do this, but a coach that, you know, loves you, cares for you, has relationship with for you. I always tell this to people like, uh, if, if if that coach has a relationship with me, he can say things to me and get away with it in a way that if anybody else said it, I'd punch somebody in the nose. Mm. That's kind of the magic of the relationship. And so it works both ways in this era that I, I don't want to be all negative and the sky is falling, but it's just, it's just certainly different. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier and, and Johnny alluded to this. The, the coaches who succeed will be the ones that can adapt. The thing you can say about Grandpa Saban, as an example, he's really adapted well over the years, not just to this set of challenges, but just even look at how his uh, offenses have evolved over the years, right? You could go through and look at the guys he's brought in as coordinators to to stay with the game and uh, has changed with the times. That That's, I think, ultimately what will make uh, or break coaches as they continue to navigate this stuff. Well, I think and, his maybe his greatest uh, evolution is the character change that he made because mm. if if you think about i think the the um he put his foot in his mouth with maria taylor in a post-game interview after a game and a sideline reporter and he ripped into her and and you know everybody's just kind of held their breath like how could he like it was just kind of a bad look and there's kind of a story that goes around sports media folks saying he's like asking his wife miss terry like why do people say these things about me. And she says, because you've done them. <laughs> you've, <laughs> you, it's it's not a perception. It's a reality. And, and to coach Saban's credit, he has softened and we see him smile more and we see him engage with the media. Now, I don't know if you saw last week, he, he the, the old coach came out a little bit when he gets a little snarky and gets a little frustrated and gets calling out his ites. But I think it, it's, it's to his credit that somebody, somebody went to him and said, coach, you have built a dynasty that has, has, hasn't been replicated and it will be hard to replicate. Mm -hmm. But the only weakness we have, the only way your opponents can recruit against you is to say, if you're Dabo Sweeney, you go to recruit and you go, you want to go play for that guy? Yeah, you may win a title, but have you seen him scream and yell at his players? Have you seen him lose his mind in a victory? Like, And so for him, he says, oh, okay, so I'm the only weak spot. I'm willing then to soften my demeanor, soften my approach and and present myself in a more positive way because now it's it's even yet again more difficult to recruit against a coach that that doesn't have uh, that fiery personality that used to be used against him. Yeah. 
Good point. I want to talk about speaking of Nick Saban and and uh, teams that may find themselves in the college football playoff. All right, you've been following this season. We're six games into the regular season for most of these teams. Uh, is is this a pretty easy playoff field to predict at this stage? Who do you like out there after having watched uh, six seven weeks worth of college football? Yeah, I, I think that in you know this goes into the, the expansion talk as well that that we could we could expand the playoff to eight, twelve, or one hundred and fifty. I think we're still going to get to the very end where it's Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, and and you know looks like Clemson's going to be there. But the the reality is the Ohio State Michigan game is certainly trending towards one like that that we've all remembered and and are you know excited about. So so that's going to be a big part of it, but. When you, it's been a great football season for working class teams, right? Kansas has had a has had a great run. Illinois is is on the come up right now. Kentucky had its run at it. There's been a lot of great stories of teams that are uh, enjoying success that maybe haven't been at or near the top. But I, we always need to make the point. It's it's like the concept of wind resistance. That if if you want to go from in a car from zero to sixty, you don't have a tremendous amount of wind resistance. But once you get up to one hundred and fifty or two hundred mile an hour, you don't just need five more horsepower to get that extra little boost of speed. You need a hundred horsepower. the The faster you go, the more resistance it is to get to the very top. And in college athletics, to get to the top five is hard. But to get to number two, to get to number one, you have a spectacular amount of wind resistance going against you. So while, you know, Tennessee is is having a great season right now and and Oklahoma State is still undefeated and, and Ole Miss, they are still, even though they're, they're only a couple spots down in the AP top 25, they have a significant amount of resistance that they would have to overcome to truly to be able to compete with those top three or four positions in college football. So if you're Ohio State and you're sitting here, you know, halfway through the season, you're looking at what you got to do. I mean, what what do they have to do to, you know, kind of maintain that inertia to make sure that they're hitting November, late November hard and, you know, getting to the point where they're peaking as they start to, I mean, ideally, you know, win a Big Ten championship, get in the college football playoff. Because right now, I mean, you've got a team that's functioning really well at the on the fundamental levels like they know what they're doing but how do they make sure that they keep building to that well they've got to get healthy i i mean I, it still blows my mind that ohio state is ranked number two and they still haven't had their best wide receiver right. and they've been in and out uh at the running back position between mine williams and travion henderson so both of those guys have taken turns of stepping up and being uh the bell cow that we all knew they could be so i i, I just want to i want to see ohio state at full at full speed and and ultimately at this point during the season the fact that they haven't and are still so dominant really to me galvanizes the team it it reminds me of my own experience back when we won ours in 02 we played so many nail biter games overtime games down to the last second holy buckeye right like that 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 while while my parents still lament over the fact they've lost their vocal cords for eternity because they were screaming <laughs> to the bitter ends of those games i always make the point that every game makes or breaks your team and that when we finally were able to make it to that Michigan game make it to the BCS national championship game against Miami that we were so battle hardened that once we got in the game and punched Miami in the face and we knew that it was going to be a street fight and, and, and you know even though we were 14 point underdogs in that game the moment we opened that game and sacked Ken Dorsey we knew immediately okay game on 
They're not faster. They're not better. They're not, you know, under, you know, they hadn't lost a game in almost two seasons up to that point that that lead went away because we knew when we, when it got to down to a street fight, we were, we were at the advantage. And I think for Ohio state, the fact that they have been so dominant with not just their first or second, uh, their, you know, their second or third wide receiver, their own receivers, three, four, and five. Cause remember Julian Fleming was injured before the season and it took him a couple weeks before he got up to speed and, right. and, it, and, it, and it was Harrison and then Buka and these guys are just continuing to go off. And now uh, to be honest, it's going to be fascinating to see when Jackson Smith and Jigba gets healthy. How does he reacclimate himself back into that rotation? Because it certainly seems like these guys that are in there are, are gelling and they've got good chemistry brewing. And it's kind of like, you don't want to mess with the guy that's in the middle of a no hitter. Like I, I, I kind of wonder about that. So that will be fa- interesting to see as, as we round into the later part portion of the season. But the other thing I'm encouraged by is one of the big questions I had for coach day coming into the season was I wanted him to prove that he could run the football because he wanted to not because he had to. And, and, and that, that was all started to be put to bed at, at week one versus Notre Dame. And certainly it's been put to bed with the performance of Rutgers and mine Williams, five touchdowns and all that, that, that when you can, and, and I saw the benefit of a, of a healthy run game in the Michigan state game that just got played this previous weekend that I saw Ohio state get into big condensed run heavy packages. I'm watching cage Stover just maul dudes off the end of the line <laughs> of scrimmage and it's all play action. And that just leaves, uh, you know, all the time in the world for CJ Stroud to stand back there and attack from the outside. They don't have to send out three or four or five guys into the route combination. We can protect up front, do heavy play action because we've established the dominant run game. And it just makes it that much easier to uh, for CJ Stroud to operate this offense. And it allows him to know, okay, if I'm having an off day, if I'm not, uh, you know, throwing my best, best stuff right now, I've got two, maybe three dudes with the freshman that stepped in uh, admirably that, that can step up and have a giant game at any moment. I'm glad you mentioned Cade Stover because it's in a roundabout way his fault that we're even having this conversation. Uh, this <laughs> this this uh, appearance on the Dubcast came up as I was uh, fanboying pretty hard as a as a fellow farm boy and you you uh, even a fellow Southern Ohio farm boy you and I. Uh, but I I've loved watching Cade Stover's story, a farm kid from uh, North Central Ohio, and uh, has been off to a pretty hot start as a tight end on this team. What I'm, I I joke I think a little bit here that it takes having a farm boy tight end to really put yourself in position <laughs> to win a national championship. I I feel like that's a good omen. But what I what I would like to uh, hear from you is, as you have watched the game development over the last twenty years uh, since you were out there winning national titles, how's that position evolved or developed generally and at Ohio State specifically? Uh, and and is Stover where does he where does he fall in in your estimation of uh, Ohio State tight ends that you've had the chance to to watch? I mean, the season's not over yet, so I'm not talking statistically, but just in terms of his his tools and skill set and the tight ends uh, on the team this this go around. Well, his story is so unique. I, I I do love the agricultural background of him. I just love a farm kid. I just like you know Jordy Nelson and those guys. I always root for those guys that came up from that experience. But his path from from linebacker to D line to now to the offensive side of the ball for the fact that uh, him to come in and first year as a starter thrive the way that he is and and the respect that he has that he's the guy asked to speak uh, at the skull session 
uh, of the Ohio State Notre Dame game. I was just so impressed uh, by, by him and by his energy. And, and uh, you know, the evolution, I don't know, the tight end is, it's, <laughs> I have a Google alert for my name. And every year during Buckeye preview season, it's always, oh, the Buckeye preview, the tight ends. And it says, not since Ben Hartsock in 2003 as an State tight end caught more than 30 whatever catches. And so I've been on this odyssey. It was, it was feed Ruckert last year. It's feed Stover this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I want that success to be given uh, to the next generation of tight end, but, but it's it's the unintended consequence of offensive success that when you have the the number one high school recruit at wide receiver position for like the last hundred years, unfortunately, there's not enough footballs on the field for a guy like Stover. And so to his credit, he has went to work and he's put his hand in the dirt and he is mauling guys at the line of scrimmage. And and he has an NFL future a hundred percent, just like Jeremy Ruckert appears to be doing well with the New York jets that the it's, it's not for lack of talent that these guys aren't a bigger part of their offense. It's just that this offense has become so prolific that in, in my era, we didn't have as many uh, dynamic options and, and that's no discredit to uh, you know, the guy, we had plenty of guys, you know, NFL caliber guys when I played, but uh, it was just a, a simpler time but with coach day and the the sophistication of this offensive attack and how the game has gone to an 11 personnel meaning three wide receiver base sets back in my day we were a 12 personnel it was two tight ends uh on in the game most times uh during that those packages so it's just a different era and i think that cage stover has all the ability he's he is a better athlete than i was he is more dynamic more explosive and and it's been fun for him to have some of those early game successes where he got all the touchdowns thrown to him and, and long runs. I think that's great for him in his future, but I also don't look at him and think that he's uh, sour or bitter or grumpy any bit about it. He's, he's the classic quintessential Buckeye. He wants to go be a part of a team that's going to chase something great. He's got a great role in it. And if he gets uh, some crumbs at the, at, at, at any point during a game, he'll be grateful for it. You said you know, something a moment ago that I want to pick apart before I before I uh, turn this back over to Johnny for the next question. You were talking about how athletic uh, he is relative to when, when you were playing. They talk about this a lot in, uh, you know, when you're comparing NBA over eras, and I'd, I'd love to get your take. How much more athletic, if if any, are the players on the field today from when you were stalking those same sidelines 20 years ago? Have Have you seen an evolution there. In other words, of the strength and conditioning programs and so on evolved in two decades time to where that's a general statement you can oh, make about any position. A hundred percent. The, the, the caliber of athlete that we are producing now at the youth and high school level, it's like, I, to be honest with you, I wonder, will it ever stop? Like, is there a, is there a, a tipping point that like that we can't do anymore? I, I give the illustration to say that the things that I didn't get access to until I showed up at Ohio State and and got involved with that strength and conditioning program from the perspective of nutrition, nutrient timing, uh, strength development, uh, conditioning, and and you know quick twitch movements. Those things I didn't. I, the first time I ever experienced them was my first year on campus as a true freshman, and then on into the NFL that those same resources now are now available to kids in diapers. <laughs> it, it, you know, like I say that kind of jokingly, but, but no, they, they, when you get down to the elementary and youth levels, there are high end sports performance facilities that are available that have every resource 
that that I got at the the very highest level of even into the NFL. There are people that are able to to give that for their kids, and not every kid has access to it, but it certainly is out there, and it's it's a double edged sword because we are making athletes like. I give this illustration now that that a true freshman now, a five-star that doesn't start, a lot of times we're quick to say, what's wrong with him? Right. But but when I was when I was uh, at Ohio State, when Maurice Claret was the first true freshman to start at running back since Archie Griffin, it was national level news. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. That's the era that we're in, that we were in then, and and now it's different now because we we have the expectation that hey, it's just like Tua coming in a national championship game as a freshman. We expect him to to go uh, and and play spectacularly. Trevor Lawrence at at uh, at, at Clemson and and uh, Jake Fromm even at Georgia when he was able to beat off as a true freshman. We now expect these guys to come in as as first year players or maybe if they do one red shirt like C.J. Stroud did that hey we want you to be the next in the newest greatest line of of tremendous players and it's good because we're making talented players but the when you hear about the stress level or the burnout level or the anxiety that, that these guys live in. I like it, 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 it hits the strikes a very real note with me because I'm a wound tight kind of guy. And I, it took me time before I was able to step into that role to say, Hey, this is a big game. We're playing, we're playing, we're playing Michigan. Like this is a giant game. Well, now you're barely out of high school, barely out of your high school prom. And the guys are thrust into these positions and they're expected to play at the highest of high levels. You know what? I, I'm glad you brought up Michigan real quick because that's something that's been on my mind for a while. I write a, a weekly article about uh, that team up north, and it's the past couple seasons, it feels like a, a switch might have been thrown in Ann Arbor. And I am curious about your perspective about how, I mean, Ohio State obviously has had this thing going on for a long time, right? Since your time, all the way till now, we've got kids in college on these teams who can remember two Michigan victories against Ohio State, essentially. Um, where where are we at in the rivalry right now? It's a big moment. This the, the game this this November, and I will be there. Trust me, I will be there. Uh, it's it's a big moment because because of the COVID year where the game was canceled. Potentially, we could live in a reality where Coach Day would be one and two against uh, the Wolverines. So that's concerning. But I can tell you, I was at Big Ten Media Days uh, this summer. And of all of the coaches that came in and we spoke to them all at Sirius XM, uh, Ryan Day's intensity was several orders of magnitude higher than any other coach. And he, and he was very vocal to say, no, I, I know we're playing for the next game. We've got Notre Dame week one, but he was not shying away from the fact that they are hurt still and stung and disappointed about last year's loss to Michigan. And and he said it from the podium talking about that even 11 wins and a Rose bowl victory with, with offensive output records was a disappointment. And he even went so far with us to point out that the, the loss to Michigan still stings and that, and I, I pressed him a little bit and, and asked him, I said, listen, I, even back when I played, we had the, the Michigan clock and, and countdown to the game all the way back then. But he said, no, it's, it's more, it's different and it's on me. And I think, it's mm. it's a credit to him that he recognizes this could be an inflection point because it, it's kind of goes back to that wind resistance point I was making. It's been so long for Michigan to get to this point. It feels like they've punched through that wind resistance. And, and for Ryan Day, the response needs to be to seal that thing up and put Michigan back down where we've had them for the past 20 years. 
Ben, as we wrap up our, our time together, because I, I think you and I and Johnny could probably sit here for another couple hours and, <laughs> and talk shop. And and I don't know, that may still be the most listened to episode we've ever done. It's hard to say because we're we're hitting on some topics that I know listeners are really uh, interested in and passionate about. But one of my favorite things about having you on the show is the opportunity to uh, ask you for Jim Tressel stories. I yeah. Uh, just love uh, Jim Tressel as a as a character, I guess, because I don't know him as a person, uh, and you know, not having had the chance to to interact with him the way you and your teammates have. Um, do you have any great Jim Tressel stories that that uh, I, as a, a fan of the 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 man, the myth, the legend, should uh, should know? Well, it, the older that we all get as players and, and to get back together for the 20 year reunion with the guys uh, at the Notre Dame game was just so special. Cause like I said, I've, for a lot of those guys, I haven't seen since I left because we've, the NFL took us away and we live in the South now. So to reconnect with those guys and with, with, as with life experience behind us, I think we're more appreciative of what coach Tressel was for us and to reconnect with him and, to see uh, Miss Ellen there, I, she was wearing her uh, gold chain with all the gold pants. She had ten yeah, that was pairs, great, wasn't that, <laughs> of gold pants? And I was like, man, that has to be some kind of record. And and uh, I think it was Carpenter that told me that uh, uh, Luke Fickle's wife has maybe a little bit more from his time as a player and as a coach, as a, as an assistant. But that mm-hmm. was that was spectacular. Um, w- when I think about Coach Tressel, all of the the positive things that you hear about them, like it's the real deal. And, and then illustration is uh, that I always give is uh, we still send Christmas cards to a lot of the coaches and coach Tressel is no different. And uh, the first time that coach Tressel met my daughters, they were, you know, four or five, six years old at the time. And he had never met them. And as we walked up, he, he identified them by name, Whitney, Lindsay. It is so nice to meet you. I, I've, I did, I, I, it's, it continues to boggle my mind. Anytime I've ever heard coach Tressel speak, he could speak for five minutes or 50 minutes and he never stutters, stammers, says an, ah, um, or whatever. And he never uses a singular note. And I've, ne- and I've never seen him not know someone's name. It's some kind of, uh, you know, Machiavellian, uh, you know, <laughs> gift that he has that he's able to, to remember the, and know these people that he's never even met my daughter. So mm. I, I know as, as a guy that was, that, that was shaped by him, it's every day I get a little bit older and get a little bit more life experience, how much more thankful uh, I am for what he did. But one thing he said from a, from a story perspective was uh, one of the stories from our era was the trip to the farm. And we've been talking about farming uh, you know, the, during the national championship year in my senior year, we hosted all the guys down to the farm. It was just kind of something I did all the way back to youth sports. We'd have hay rides and get togethers at the end of the season. Well, we did one for the preseason, just kind of as a fun thing. Mm-hmm. And you've heard articles about it, but one of the, the activities that we had, we had tractors and hay rides and cow milking and welding, like everything that you could think about that you would do at a farm. And I still get like anytime I talk to old teammates, they all they, they don't talk about the Michigan game or the national championship. They talk about going down to the farm. They loved it. Nice. And so for Coach uh Tressel, one of the activities we had, we had bows and arrows, but we also had uh skeet shooting. <laughs> and and when we were shooting skeet, he loves telling the story of Miss Ellen. Ellen was a crack shot. She was <laughs> blasting those pigeons left and right. And and the other person that was really good is no surprise was Mike Nugent, the kicker. Yeah, well, they were go. blasting them. Well, Coach Tressel was just the opposite. He was 
worse than terrible. Could not, <laughs> could not hit a bird to save his life. But I think this is a great insight to his competitiveness. He would not quit. Mm-hmm. He he stayed down there like the 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 day was done. We were wrapping up and and sending people home, and Coach Tressel was still down there. We had actual like certified, I think NRA maybe or like uh, instructors that were helping make sure it was safe and teach guys that hadn't done it. And and I, we talked to these instructors after, and and they said like we were concerned like we weren't going to be able to pull it off. Like they were <laughs> almost to the point where they felt like they had to hold the gun for him to get him aimed up right, and they were going to throw a pigeon right in front of his path, kind of thing. But he tried again and again, and he was not going to step away until he got one. And the final time, or the finally, when he made contact and clipped one of those uh, pigeons, he put the gun down and said, "I'm done." Uh, go <laughs> was, go ahead on top, right? Yeah, that was absolutely <laughs> it. But I thought that was such a you know he always wants to tell the aspect of of his wife and celebrate her and how good she was. But I made sure to to remind him and I said, "As good as she was, you were equally poor." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a great story. I I also wondered, uh, this is something I had, I had said once in the comments on one of our stories, I don't even remember how it came up, but I, in my mind, and you were here, and the reason I want to ask you about this, because you were there for this kind of the dawning of what I call the modern era of Ohio State football. To me, Jim Trestle's arrival in Columbus was that line of demarcation. Now, I think you can make the argument that John Cooper, you know, put Ohio State back in the kind of the national recruiting picture and the talent he brought to Columbus, all that undeniable. But to me, it was really that moment when everything changed, the rivalry game, you know, the the avalanche of Big Ten titles that that come to Columbus, that, that at from that point on, everything in the Big Ten ran through Columbus and Ohio State when Jim Trestle stepped foot on campus. Am I... Am I right or or am I half bubble off plum there? No, I um I one of the things that I love about college athletics is its chapters. And 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 I am so in, eternally grateful for the chapter that I got to be a part of because when I when I tell that it's just like you said, Andy, that that the the source of pride for for our chapter in Buckeye history was we drew the line in the sand. The, the, the line in the sand was drawn to say no more. And you can point to even the 310 day speech yeah. that coach Tressel spoke at the basketball game. And I was a, a sophomore at that game, just going to watch a basketball game. And, and I'll never forget the, the feeling that I felt of this guy that we were like, who's coach, who's Jim Tressel? Where's mm-hmm. Youngstown? What's a penguin? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. we, you know I, I was an undergrad. That was my reaction to a T who is this yeah, guy? I mean, I yeah, thought it was gonna be Glenn Mason or somebody I'd heard of. And all of a sudden it's like, who is this guy? Right. And, and, you know, even, even then, just like today, everybody's looking for the glamorous hire. Uh, but Andy Geiger had the infinite wisdom to identify the guy the, uh, that coach Tressel, that he was perfect built uh, to, to transition, to, 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 to bring Ohio state back focused to what was most important because uh, I, again, I am uh, I'm incredibly thankful for John Cooper. He's the one that uh, gave me a shot as a kid mm-hmm. from Southern Ohio that didn't, you know, our school didn't have a great football pedigree, but he gave me my scholarship and I'll never, uh, that will never be lost on me. But Coach Tressel, with a lot of the guys that John Cooper recruited, was able to draw that line in the sand and say, okay, Ohio state is going to be at the very tip of the college football spear. And it's something that I take a lot of pride in to be a part of that process. 
Ben, this has been a great, uh, not quite an hour together, but as I, as I say, we could spend several more hours talking about college football. Uh, and I hope we'll have you again on the dubcast sometime. Uh, heck maybe the next time, uh, that I have to call in sick, maybe you can just tag in and co-host this thing with Johnny. <laughs> you guys will have a big old time. Uh, keep, keep, um, uh, keep fighting the good fight down there in the Southlands and uh, in, indoctrinating the natives against, uh, you know, this uh, all pervasive SEC uh, business and let them know that great football's played north of the Mason-Dixon line too. really look forward to watching your career continue to grow and flourish. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, hope folks are listening to your show on the Big Ten channel on Sirius XM Satellite Radio and uh, good on you for taking some time to cheer on your girls and youth sports as, as well. That's that's what matters most, I think, is, as you say, as we get older, we we uh, uh, maybe take more pride in our kids than we did in our own accomplishments. So good luck, and thanks for being here on the 11 Dubcast. Yep, I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Johnny, great, uh, great opportunity. Anytime we can connect with uh, a, a former member of the Ohio State football program. I just really enjoyed that. What a, what a, what a great guy. He's fantastic, uh, man. Yeah, like what? that. You know, well, and that's, here's the thing. So we've talked to a lot of different people over the years. And um, one of the things I always enjoy is when you get a former Ohio State player who has that kind of media perspective sometimes and not to discount, you know, the experience of anybody else. But I, I just love when guys can kind of see it from both sides and then kind of say, OK, well, I've got. I've got that on the field experience, but I've also seen it from the booth. And it just, I don't know. It, it it really is a fascinating way to approach the game because you have to do it both as a broadcaster and then also as a player and kind of balance those things. And, you know, Ben's obviously a really intelligent dude and has been around for a really long time. And I just, I, I don't know. I think his input's really valuable. That was great. I really, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And the only reason that we're not still talking to him is because I figured we'd better actually talk about, uh, the football game that we got to watch this yeah. last weekend. <laughs> you know it what? Was, uh... <laughs> you know what, though? Guess what? Ohio State won by a billion points. They they kicked butt, and it was great. And you know what? It looked exactly like a bunch of other Ohio State wins that we've seen. And that I love that. That that that's not at all to discount the game or to denigrate the game. I think the game was great. I just love the fact that this team is so unbelievably consistent, particularly on offense that they all kind of look the same it, 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 they're all equally awesome. And that's, that's what I kind of enjoyed about. I mean, I think you heard Ben say, you know, when he talked about the the running game as an example and, and sure. knowing that this team can run the ball down your throat when it needs to, you've seen Ohio state been able to pick apart these defenses and yeah, we could, we could quibble about quality of opponent, but you've actually seen statistically at least some decent opponents defensively in Notre Dame, Rutgers, and, and Wisconsin. Yes, I know Rutgers and Wisconsin. You might laugh up your sleeve, but if you look at the adjusted um, you know, uh, efficiency stats for those defenses, those aren't horrible defenses, and Ohio State's picked them apart. Uh, and and you're, you're going to find, I think, it really hard to stop this Ohio State offense. So the question becomes whether the the defense holds up. I did something on on Twitter after the game. I I asked uh, loyal listeners to the Dubcast who are following us on Twitter. Which, uh, by the way, if you are not following us on Twitter, you should totally do at twitter.com uh, at eleven Dubcast. Word eleven all spelled out at eleven Dubcast. But I asked for things that they liked and things that they loathed. I don't know if you've looked at the mentions or not, but if you haven't, don't Johnny. What would you say if you had to guess? What was the most common answer to things that people loathed 
about Ohio State's performance versus Michigan State? Oh, God. I mean, I don't know what else what you can really put in there. I don't I mean. Uh, oh, I mean, there, there was one thing. If there was one thing that made you pull your hair out when you watched the game, what would you have said? If I had to say, God, Johnny, what did you if you had to find something to to complain about from that game? What would you have said? I mean, people complain about the starters being in too long. Yeah, um, no, that's dumb. Nobody said that. Good. Okay. On, Twitter, on our Twitter feed, anyway. I'm sure some idiot out there Well, no, because people somewhere. who follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter are smart <laughs> yes, and erudite folks who don't, who don't answer dumb things, and they only say smart things. I don't know. I mean, CJ Stroud throwing the interception, maybe? like the, No one mentioned that? I have either. no idea. What do we got? The, what? the, the mode, we had about three answers. We had several answers to this, but, but they were all uh, on a couple of themes. The most common one was quarterback, uh, corner, but not quarterback. Everyone's happy with the quarterback, cornerback play. All right. Uh, and and to me, that was the glaring vulnerability, I guess, if you want to say it that way. That's the vulnerability yeah. of this team is cornerback play in general. Can I, can I say something about that? Though? Please I, do so, yes. Okay, here's the thing, and I, I get that. I don't think they've played up to expectations. Denzel Burke hasn't played up to expectations. That's fine, and and I don't, I don't think that's um, – a bad criticism. I think it makes sense compared to, I mean, if, cause really what you're doing is you're comparing it to the rest of the units on the team, right? Yeah. It's that cause you can't really say like, well, they're playing better than, you know, like Michigan state's corners. Well, yeah, Michigan state is the worst pass defense in the country. Obviously they're playing better. They were very bad. Yeah. But you do want to compare them to the other, like a plus units on the team. And that's totally fair. However, I do want to point out that, and this is in spite of Jim Knoll saying that, Ohio State, you know, might give up a long play or two. Ohio State does not give up long plays. In fact, they're one of the top five in the country on giving up plays of 10 yards or more. So while I agree that the the, the quarterback play probably needs to get a little bit better, they need to tighten some things up there. I, I think that those long pass plays that people wring their hands about are only that obvious because they happen so rarely and when mm-hmm. it does happen when people see that they're like oh my god the, the sky is falling not really honestly i mean shoot like they, they still held held uh thorn to what you know like <laughs> 113 yards is what i'm looking at you know they mm-hmm. obviously they brought in you know kind of in garbage time they had uh you know kim come in and throw for some yards but the truth of the matter is, is that I, I really don't think they're doing that badly in pass defense and um i i think you know, some of those mental mistakes, some of those errors just stand out because they don't happen that frequently. Glad you said um, mental mistakes and errors, because that was the second most common answer to the question. What did you uh, love yeah. about this game was uh, several people mentioned, you know, sloppy mistakes that uh, kept drives alive. And sure. and you had a couple drives like that, right, where Michigan State was off the field. Right. And, and then the hands to the face yeah. penalty or something dumb. Um, yeah, that was absolutely a thing. And I and I think that's fair. Now, I guess where I put the comma butt on that is that maybe it's that you're playing that aggressively. Maybe when you are playing so yeah. fast and aggressive, you expect there to be, ah, eh, yeah, dude jacked some guy upside the head, hands to the face penalty. It happens. Maybe, maybe that's I don't want to, I don't want to write off excuses for sloppy play. But maybe that's the trade-off that you have a confident, mm-hmm. aggressive team out there, you know, hunting for the ball, hunting to knock the holy living daylights out of the other team. Maybe that's just the trade-off. I, I don't know. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that when you're watching this kind of game, like I don't, I don't know. It, I 
it's really hard for me to kind of focus on the negative because I'm such in awe of the positive and what they're able to do off. I mean, the offense really is, this is, it's hard sometimes to sit and, and take stock of what you're looking at and what you're watching. You know what I mean? And especially yeah. because the evolution of college football, I mean, offensive offenses have gotten better. They've, they've scored more points. They're, they're racking up more yards than they used to uh, quarterbacks are more accurate than they've been in the past. And that all of that, I think has to be taken into consideration. This is still a team that ran up 614 yards on a big 10 conference opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's insane. Like that, that is bonkers stuff. And and this is against Michigan State. Now, granted, you know, not a good defense. Fine. But what we're looking at is like, you know, I keep saying this. It's it's math, it's logic. It it is inescapable what this team is able to do on offense. And it's not it's not that I think that they have these next level players that are so athletically talented that they can go out and do whatever. And they'll, they'll, you know, beat up. They don't have, they don't have, you know, 11 Bo Jackson's out there. Right. You know, they're not, (laughs) they're not just destroying dudes on athleticism alone. This Mm -hmm. is the the scheme, how it's being executed, how well all these players understand what their roles are and in performing them. It it is really kind of insane to watch. And, And I think one of my favorite examples of this, um, I think it was on uh, Travion Henderson's uh, touchdown and Mitch Rossi got out and just wiped off, wiped a dude off the face of the planet. There was a guy who had Travion Henderson dead to rights. And all of a sudden there's Mitch Rossi just knocking him down. And, and like, again, it's a simple block. He's a fullback. He made a block fine. But after, as soon as he made that block, the play was over and Travion Henderson was still five yards away from the end zone. It was done. And it, and, they didn't Michigan state had no ability to stop that play once that single block was made. And so I see stuff like that where I'm like, okay, Cade Stover's going out and he's going to like, he's the third option and he can still get a first down. Right. If, if CJ Stroud decides to check down to him, that's, and pr- that's and pretty easily we're talking about. <laughs> like he makes it look, you know, they all, that's you the understand what I'm saying though? Like, yes, yes. It's, it's Dallin Hayden, third string, which, corn, third string running back. Right. Goes out there and damn near ratches up a hundred yards. Like we talk about picking your poison. Okay, well, if your third choice for poison is still getting burnt for a first down or a touchdown, then you're in serious trouble no matter who you are. Yeah, Kate Stover's averaging like 13 yards a grab. So, you know, yeah. you're, you're you're exactly right. I mean, almost any option on the field is is darn near uh averaging a first down, right? So, right. Um they and and to that point. The thing that when I asked uh, the question, what did you like? What did you loathe? The likes uh, most common answer was Marvin Harrison Jr. And uh, specifically his third catch, right? Like that, that kind of almost one. He's like falling back and has to like, yeah. Well, the catch before that, the, the touchdown before that blew my mind because that Brantley was, you know, mugging him in the end zone. Oh, right. Yeah. Tackled him. Right uh, across the goal line as it was, and route man Marv catches the ball like over his back, and it was you looked and you're like, that was insane. And mm-hmm. then oh, his next touchdown catch is even more so. Uh, yeah, all he does is catch touchdown. I mean, it's you know he he doesn't catch everything you throw his way. That's that's the knock on him is he's not as uh, you know he's not a hundred percent catch rate, but all he catches is touchdowns. So right. you, you love that. The other thing that was mentioned frequently from folks on the Twitter 
um, was talking about how quick Stroud is getting the ball out. You know, that, oh, which, God, which yeah. I think is fair. You know, that's a really good, good point. The ball's out quickly when it needs to be. I guess that was the rest of the the comment. So it's not, I mean, he, he can drop his, back and his decision-making is just lightning quick. I mean, he, he sees something he goes, all right, this is what we're doing. And there's no hesitation. I mean, he just takes shots and I love that. I absolutely love that about him. It was a good game. Uh, the other thing that I started looking at, you know, during the off season, I said several times that this defense did not need to be a top five defense to win a national championship, to win a big 10 championship, that they mm -hmm. just need to suck 30% less than last season. And Johnny, I'm pleased to report that so far my hypothesis holds water because six games into the season, you know, if you look at last year, Ohio state allowed 372.9 yards per game. God, that hurts. And almost 23 points per game through six games a season. They've allowed just 253 and a half yards on average and just under 16 points per game. I mean, that is that is an amazing year-over-year -year improvement. And then when you break it down, rush versus pass, they're averaging just 93 yards rushing per game, the opponents in those first six games. You That's cannot run against Ohio State. You cannot run against Ohio State. You know what? And Ohio State right now statistically has a better defense than, you know, some of these teams like Georgia and Iowa, which, I mean... <laughs> I don't, especially Georgia. I mean, you look at that. If somebody had said, Hey, next year, if you looked at this team a year ago and said in one year, they will have a better defense statistically than Georgia. I don't think anyone would have believed that. No one would believe that on the planet. And, and yet that's, that's where they're at. Uh, and they're right there with Alabama and with Michigan. And by the way, just looking at these stats, it's really interesting. Like half the top 10 are big 10 teams. Yeah. Um, that could say something about the quality of offenses in big yes. 10, but I also think also, yes. Yeah. But I also think there's some very legitimate defenses uh, in this conference and, you know, maybe to your point a little bit earlier, some people may be poop pooing what the offense has been able to do against some of these big 10 opponents, but you know what, maybe those are a lot better defenses than people give them credit for. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see the rest of the way out because I do think this is a, a team that will continue to develop that will continue because you have not seen so far six games in the season by week coming. You have not necessarily seen the, the gosh, they just phoned it in for a half a football yet. Like there really right. hasn't been a time where you're like, Man, they just were not. And they could have done that against Michigan State because they knew going in Michigan State's not a great team. Right. Uh, and you knew, you know, I'm I'm sitting here looking and saying, gosh, Mel Tucker, $10 million man. <laughs> he may be on the hot seat pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they they were engaged. They were on. They did what needed to be done. It was a business trip, I think, as I heard one of the commentators put it. They treated it like a business trip. And that's that's what you need to see if you're going to be a title contending team, right? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's hard to maintain that over the course of an entire season. But the longer you get into it, the more urgent these games become, because obviously, you know, you can't you can't absorb a loss in November. I mean, that's that's going to really hurt you in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, I like what I'm seeing. I yeah, I really am curious to see what happens with the Iowa game, although, I mean, it, it helps that you, uh, you know, you get them maybe maybe in a place where they're not <laughs> not super confident about uh, several aspects of their team you know what i mean like it, it should be a little bit uh 
more uh, manageable, I guess, maybe than in past years. I'm not, I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not worried about them popping up and, and scoring 50 against this, uh, against this defense uh, by throwing the tight end or something like that. I am also really interested to see how the, uh, the Penn state game goes. Obviously that's a, you know, being a road game um, that should be, that should be a good test. I, I think Penn state's actually probably a little overrated right now. I don't know that they're, they are as as good as as the pollsters think they are, but that that'll be a good test. And then, um, you know, you get two very winnable games, and then Maryland, which could pose an interesting challenge to the secondary. And then, of course, there's Michigan. So there there's there's some ups and downs on the schedule that I think will allow them to maintain that momentum. Uh, because I think once you get into November, there's no, I mean, there's no slowing down. Your your foot's on the gas pedal pretty much the entire time. You mentioned that team up north, uh, one of Ohio State fans' favorite punching bags, uh, Desmond Howard, who <laughs> continues to be, I mean, I I guess you could say he's the new Mark May. Genius. When it comes, when it comes to saying incredible Smartest man alive. To rile up Ohio State fans uh, on ESPN. He's he's sort of adopted that mantle, I guess. Uh, but but popped off this week and uh, on game day and said something about, you know, when when can we welcome Ohio State back to the college football season, taking a crack at Ohio State's strength of schedule and the fact that, uh, you know, Ohio State ain't played nobody yet, Yeah, as, okay. as the kids say these days. You, as our resident chronicler of all things Wolverine, uh, remind me again who Michigan's played to date. They, they ain't playing nobody either. And and here's the thing. So they, they have looked mediocre um, against their past two opponents. And the thing is, is that I – Look, I'm very generous towards Michigan in those two games. I mean, I think a lot of people might like to look at those and go, okay, well, they they came out there and they, they looked pretty poor in the first half against Indiana, and they only beat Iowa of all teams by, you know, a couple touchdowns. You know, what's going on with that? I, I really do think that there were just some dumb coaching decisions in one sense, and then also maybe just not getting up for certain games in another sense. But I, I look, I personally think Michigan's a very, very good team. I, I think they are legit top five, top seven team in the country, and and they're dangerous. Um, but they also really have not been tested at all. And those first three games were against literally, like, honest to God, probably the worst three teams in the country. <laughs> so I can't even, I cannot count those really as as evidence that they're good. But I, you know, what they excel in is the running game. They've got a great running back in quorum. Um, they have a very dynamic, very athletic quarterback in, in McCarthy. who can do some amazing things. He has not been allowed to do some things. And I think the coaching basically is still acting as if Cade McNamara were the, the quarterback, which is really weird. Um, but talent wise, they're, they're good. And defensively, they're very good. And their running game is one of the best in the country. So, you know, I guess my point is with Michigan, Michigan is that they're going to be they're going to be increasingly um you know kind of fall themselves I think as this season goes on mm -hmm. because they really have not a difficult schedule um but I would not be upset if a team jumps up and bites them in the ass either <laughs> cuz I I see the Michigan Twitter a lot and they're like super confident in themselves I'm like I don't if this were an Ohio state team and, and maybe this is about like 
recent success and and you know expectations and things like that. If this were a similar Ohio State team and Ohio State was playing like this, Ohio State fans would not be nearly as confident in feeling themselves as Michigan fans are right now on social media. Like Ohio State fans would be wringing their hands saying they need to fire somebody. Uh how dare you be tied or you know whatever against Indiana going to the hat. Like people would be freaking out. Michigan fans are like, no, we're still amazing. We're the best. And I'm like, okay. Let's see they, how the rest of the season goes. They are very, very good at that. Very, very good at that. The, the uh, you give them an inch, they take a mile. I mean, yeah. that's 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 really what it is when it comes to any kind of success. And again, I think it may be just the the past history of these teams in the past couple decades. But um, yeah, it, it's it is kind of funny to watch because it it is very possible that despite my genuine belief that it's a very good team, they could still get snake bit just as easily as any other team yeah. out there. Yep, that's Sorry. right. One game at a time, lunch pail attitude, four to six, A to B, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we will be here to chronicle all of it. And now, friends, time for your favorite segment of the program and mine, Ask Us Anything, which, like the dubcast in its entirety, is brought to you by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com. Hats, T-shirts, stickers, you know, we had... Ben Hartsock on at the top of the program, and he mentioned uh, some of the great games in his season, that championship season. Uh, one of my favorite T-shirts in the drawers, the King Wright 64Y Shallow Swap Tee. Uh, if you don't have that shirt or any of our other great play shirts, 85 Yards Through the Heart of the South, the Brooklyn Dagger, some of my favorite T-shirts in the drawer, you can find those along with all of our new tees as well at drygoods.11warriors.com. Johnny, was the was the mailbag full this week? Was it empty? What did we find? It was full. And let's go ahead. Let's let's just get right into it. Um, and by the way, you can send us questions to dubcast.11warriors.com. Let's start with our good friend Alvin, who says, if you could literally dunk and literally like, you know, slam a jamma on someone dead or alive, who would it be and why? <laughs> I could dunk on anyone. And don't uh, and don't say like Hitler. Like, like, <laughs> like it's gotta be someone that you maybe hold a personal vendetta or grudge oh, against yeah, rather well, than uh uh, I was uh, so universally it's, hated. It's it's kind of funny. Um, I used to watch the the show The Big Bang Theory. I really enjoyed that show, okay. and I loved how um, Sheldon Cooper how always had uh, uh, an enemies list. Oh you know? right, wasn't like, it like Will Wheaton. Like Will his... Wheaton, yeah, yeah. Will yeah. Wheaton was was his yes his ongoing thing, and so I used to think like. I uh, have this kind of enemies list running in my head, you know, people who had done me wrong over the years. That I, so that was when you oh said that somebody I had a personal grudge against. I don't, I don't really have that running anymore, but it was funny when you said dunk one. I took it literally and I was like, I want to dunk on Michael Jordan, man. And, oh my God, that'd be sick. <laughs> and and the reason actually, that's that, a really good point. It doesn't have to be somebody you hate. Maybe somebody that just everybody would be like, oh my God. Oh no, no, no. I hated Michael Jordan because you have to understand I grew up as a fan of the Lakers oh, and okay. well, in the go. Showtime Lakers era. And so like, for whatever reason, my dad loved Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, all those greats. Well, I mean, they're, they were incredible. I mean, yes. I, I can and, and he loathed Michael Jordan. Like dad would always, you know, make the claim that Michael would have been nothing without those guys around him. And Scotty Pippen was maybe the most underrated guy in the, in the league and yada, 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 yada. So, so like, I just grew up kind of surrounded by that and it's funny what things related to your sports mania 
do you take from your dad or your parents in general? Uh, my mm-hmm. parents loved basketball. We went to a lot of went to a lot of high school basketball games with a lot of uh, both boys and girls uh, in about three different schools in our in our county. We, yeah, three different. Let's see, Lynchburg, Hillsborough, and and White Oak all play basketball games over the years. Uh, and so anyway, that's, that would have, I took the answer literally when you asked that I would be, no, that's, I mean, that's how it should be taken. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Dunk the hell out of that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? So I'm thinking about the seven foot tall, like French dude that Vince Carter dunked on in the Olympics. You know what I'm talking about? Where the guy <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know what his name is, but yeah, I don't, well, I don't think anybody knows his name because he, he's like, was dunked on into oblivion. Um, I think it would be cool to dunk on that guy. In the same way that Vince Carter did, because it'd be me and Vince Carter, like one of the greatest dunkers of all time, and Johnny Ginner, who dunked on the same dude in the same way. That would be pretty sick. Um, as far as like somebody I hate, I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of people. I'm a hateful man. Um, oh, that's great. I don't know. Like someone, someone just like loathsome and awful. The, the, the thing is, there's a lot of characters throughout history, right? Who are just like terrible human beings. So I don't want to, I don't want to take the easy route when it comes to something like that. Um, like somebody who's just like an annoying, just douche. I don't know. Like a dunking on Elon Musk would be pretty sick. Yeah, Actually, great. that would be fun in part because I think he's a, you know, an awful human being, but also because uh, he's one of the richest men in the world. And frankly, that's like a twofer, like dunking on someone insanely wealthy like that. And who's a dick like that would be pretty great. I would enjoy that quite a bit. I think that would be I think that has to be my choice. Outstanding. Um. Okay. So in this one's from uh, Joshua F. What is your favorite cultural food category to get when you're eating out or ordering delivery? I had I had Chinese food today. Does that count? I uh, yeah, that's that I mean, was that's, that was yeah, I had from lunch. I I always hesitate to say that because I'm like, all right, what's wrong with Chinese food? That's well, no, 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 because like it's not like real. So my one of my oh well, yeah, uh, it's like the one of my coworkers like right, went to right, China right. and one of his favorite things to do was take pictures of the absolutely insane looking stuff that he sure. ate when he was in China. And it looks nothing like what I had for lunch today, which is like right. Mongolian beef and an egg roll. <laughs> that, was, right. that was lunch. Uh, probably my favorite thing, the thing I would treat myself with though, that might actually bear some reasonable uh, resemblance to, to the actual product would be sushi. I, I'm a sushi. Oh, yeah. Love yeah. Well, you know, so I'm a really adventurous eater. I'll eat pretty. Maybe I should ask you that question. Sorry, I just because you actually no, were, it's you actually lived in Japan. Yeah. Does the sushi that I order at the sushi restaurant in my town look uh, anything like what no. I might eat in Tokyo? It's really not. No, it's not. And I don't mean like a, something stupid like a California roll. But no, I know what you're saying. Even if you get the the quote unquote good stuff, it's not it, the the difference between fresh fish and like not fresh. It, it's it's night and day. Like I I mean I lived I didn't necessarily live on the coast, but I live within spitting distance of the coast. And um yeah, it's 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 so much better yeah. <laughs> and i feel bad saying i'm not i'm really not no, a food no, no, snob no. i'm not i think everybody like if you like something you should like it and there's nothing wrong with that um but yeah man it's yeah the, the sushi specifically is night and day now with that said um the ramen there are a number of places in town where you can get some top shelf ramen that to me is just as good as anything i had in japan i'm probably um, gonna have some ramen when we finish taping this but it's like the uh top ramen i bought it oh well that sure. yeah that i wouldn't count but uh but there are a number of restaurants in the city uh tensuke tensuke in uh you know 
down there on what near Kenny, I guess, is is really great. And there's another other places around town. Um, but I like, you know, I, I like pretty much anything. And I think what I'm right now, what my go-to would be is probably Indian food. Um, there's a lot of fantastic Indian food, and I I'm I'm a I'm a guy who likes spicy stuff, and so that brings the heat. Um and 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 also like not just like oh it burns my mouth but it actually tastes good at the same time so I think I'm gonna go with that that would be my answer there um, the palak is is something I really enjoy um, okay so this is from Kevin uh, Sparty is a laugher so who's your favorite personality in the Nissan Heisman house <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one uh, you know those commercials I think have all been really good but yeah I, no i i used to be really cynical about them too but now i enjoy them no i love them and i i'm trying to think of the current crop like i'm always partial to when it's like ohio state guys like i loved when Eddie yeah, George course, would yeah. show up and make an appearance that's just i don't know if i have a favorite in the heisman house right now they're they're all pretty entertaining there's some good ones I like when I, they bring in like the younger guys and then they have and like the, the yeah, older yeah, yeah. come in. That's and exactly they just, like, what I was going to say. Somebody yeah. from like 30 years ago. Yeah. And, and, you know, <laughs> I enjoy that. Two years ago. Um, okay. Last one here. This is from uh, David. Uh, when Jackson Smith and Jigba gets back, will this passing game exponentially better, marginally better, or not change that much? Uh, personally, while I think JSN is a game changer and elite wide receiver, I just haven't seen any barrier to Ohio State doing whatever it wants. With Fleming, Emeka, or Ballard. I mean, I think that's a fair point, honestly. And and I think you could make the argument that, you know, and, and I mean, Ben Hartsock said it earlier in the program, there's only so many balls to hand out, right? There's, there's, there's yeah. only so many touches to go around. So, you know, how much better could Ohio State's passing game be than it is right now? There's always room for import, improvement, but like, I don't think, you're suddenly going to see exponential improvement is put it this way. Is this passing offense as good today as it was in the Rose bowl? Was it good as, as it was, you know, in, in Ohio state's uh, you know, regular season games last year with Chris Olave uh, in the mix with Garrett Wilson in the mix, because that was a pretty damn potent passing offense with two first rounders mm -hmm. in the wide receiver room. I don't feel like this offense really lost a step with those two guys going to the league. I'm blasphemous that might sound so I mean I guess I'm not expecting incremental improvement sure I you know anytime you can bring the best wide receiver in the country back onto the field yeah you're you're going to get better but I'm not suddenly going to be like oh my god they're going to throw for 700 yards a game it's going to be insane how many yeah. more touchdown passes could Stroud throw in a game he's throwing he's throwing six with regularity right <laughs> I mean that's in his career but that's the thing though I mean like exactly Mecca and and Marvin caught what like 270 yards worth of passes against hey, michigan state and, and by the way is there a guy that's maybe more underrated than Emeka Ibuka? No. like route man marv's getting all the love for obvious Ibuka, reason but Ibuka is the workhorse of this program Ibuka, right now he's he's like a top i think he's like a top six or seven receiver in the country right now and i don't nobody's think, talking about how good nobody's he is. talking about that dude and and again they love you know people like to see the touchdowns and that's why they're looking at marv but like i mean when the third leaving receiver on the team is julian fleming and he's got 81 yards still <laughs> the, yeah no i i'm i'm 
absolutely in agreement with this question. I don't I don't know that uh, they're going to improve just because I don't know how much they can improve. If you look at the statistics, if you look at the the metrics for this, like they're they're already basically off the charts. There there really is no comparison in terms of you know a, a passing game um, in, in college football right now. So yeah, I, I mean, and it just you know this is not to to poo poo. Jackson Smith and Jigba's ability or, or you know, Not him as a, a player, he's unbelievable, but they're just operating at such a high level right now that it's like, you know, you can't, you know, you get a hundred percent on a test. All right. Well, you can add extra credit, but ultimately it's still going in the grade books a hundred percent. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's I, exactly my thing is I just don't, I don't see how it's, it's, it's not like you're sitting here all the season, you know, watching me like, well, they're, they're pretty good, but man, if they had JSN, right. You know, because we've just been every, you could say, week after week i mean with the exception of of one game really mm -hmm. where you would say man that passing game is the best in the country i mean they've had one kind of but it, but you know what and that game. all rests on the shoulders of of cj stroud i don't think it has anything to do with the wide receivers i think they're going out and doing you know exactly what they need to do every week they're not getting shut down by anybody no there are no cornerbacks who are can i think are even capable of locking them down out there um, mm -hmm. And even if there is like maybe the best corner in the country, okay, you take care of one dude. Great. You've got four others you have to worry about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I, they're operating at such a high level. I, I would love to see JSM back um, just, you know, because I want him healthy and, and I want him to be successful, but uh, I just, you know, I think they're, they're about as high as they can get because they're just doing so unbelievably well. Uh, real quick. I actually forgot this one here. This is from uh, Bryant. I'm on glad Twitter, you, glad you mentioned uh, that. I was I'm glad you caught that. I was going to send you a note and say, "Wait, wait, we're not done yet." Yeah, we got it. We, I mean, he, excellent dude, friend of the program. Uh, who is your pick for most underrated player for OSU during your fandom? And for him, uh, he thinks that you know we we take a little too long sometimes to, to mention Devin Smith, uh, big time deep ball threat, always mm -hmm. open, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I think that's a I think that's a good. That's a good candidate right there. Um, I think you can make an argument, you know, a guy like Ben Hartsock falls in in that category. I'm not just saying that because because there's so many guys like that that, you know, were integral yeah. into their their seasons, right? You know, in a in a in a role. Um, I mean, hell, I'm I'm gonna throw Mecca Buco on that on that list right now for the reasons I just highlighted. There's a guy that I I feel like is really having one of the best seasons of any wide receiver in recent memory uh and because there have been several guys who have had insanely good seasons as wide receivers in the last five years at ohio state not to mention the ones that have come before them but just just the recency bias effect uh there's a guy i don't think's getting his i don't think he's getting the credit he deserves mm -hmm. and it's and it's because the guys around him are doing insane things you know marvin harrison's circus catches that's what's going to make Sports Center. But then when you look at the stat line, you're like, oh my God, that guy, like Buka ran for almost 150 yards. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Because he just goes out there and boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Right. Who do you who do you got on your underrated list? I mean Dane Sanzenbacher, there's a good one. Yeah, I I actually I I mean I love Dane Sanzenbacher. I love watching that guy play. Um, same with uh, Gonzo. I mean, I think it's all unbelievable. I I but I I honestly gotta say, dude is uh the only Ohio state player to rush for 2000 yards. He is, you know, second in Ohio state history in terms of, of rushing yards, averaged over 6.2 yards per carry during his career. 
J.K. Dobbins should be considered to be like on the Mount Rushmore, in my opinion, seriously, on the Mount Rushmore of Ohio State running backs. And he's not. And it's weird. And I, I think it's possibly because he had kind of a, a season where, you know, quote unquote down season didn't perform up to maybe what his standards would be. Um, but man, when he was good, I, I just I really struggle to think who was who was more consistently like excellent. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott and, and, you know, I saw Eddie George, obviously, but those guys got tons of publicity and tons of pub. Um, you know, Beanie Wells came in with all the accolades in the world and people expecting all this stuff of them. I think JK Dobbins is just what he was able to accomplish, but particularly in that 2000 yard rush, because I didn't think I'd ever see something like that at Ohio state. I like, That's unbelievable. Um, yeah, I just think he's unbelievably un- underrated, and, and I don't know that we've really stepped back and kind of appreciated what he was able to bring to the table. Um, and maybe maybe Bengals fans do now a little bit more <laughs> this weekend. Um, maybe. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think he would be my pick for that just because of, of what he was able to do. And, you know, and again, maybe that's just a result of inflated statistics and people don't take that kind of stuff as you know, as seriously anymore, but uh, I, I would put him up there against any other Ohio State running back ever in history. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's great. Great questions this week, guys. Keep sending those in. Those are fantastic. I love it. Yeah, shows run a little long this week, but for good reason, because we had insanely good questions from from you, the audience, as well as, uh, boy, fantastic guests to start the show. That was a lot of fun. Hope we get to do that again sometime um, because I, I enjoyed the stories from uh, 20 years ago, but also getting that perspective from somebody who is who is able to give the player perspective, um, but also really connected to what's happening in the game today. That's uh, That was a really nice conversation with Ben Hartsock. Special thanks to Ben for joining us uh, and to you, audience, for sending some great Ask Us Anything questions. Make sure you send us some really good ones. We're heading into the bye week, so this time next week we'll be talking about maybe games around the Big Ten, uh, games in the national scene, and we'll have plenty of time to take your questions, so submit those for Ask Us Anything. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast. Dubcast.